Hey everybody, welcome to another episode. I again on have on the podcast, athlete, friend, co-worker, overall just really positive person to be around. <laughs> Registered dietitian Christopher Barrett. You're probably the most positive person I know. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty, That's a, I, I take that as a compliment for yeah. sure. Yep. Like, you're not, like, so positive like Flanders and The Simpsons that it's, like, sick. <laughs> it's sickening? Yeah, but gotcha. very positive. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. So, so I had a, uh, a listener of the podcast uh, discuss with me or request a topic, uh, and that topic was common mental barriers for sport performance. And... I mean, I have, I have a, I have, this is one of the times where I wrote stuff down because they're very common ones, but any of them come to mind for you based on your experience, Chris? Uh, for me, biggest thing, I'm very type A when it comes to my personal training. Um, so for me, I was very like, I have to get this done. Mm -hmm. So I'd probably say, so I ran competitively for like 12 years of my life. Um, and during that time, Whatever happened or whatever else was in my life was always second. Mm -hmm. Running was always priority number one, no matter what. Right. So I have a good, a few good stories that we'll, I'm sure we'll probably talk about. But um, yeah, it was always priority number one. So it was everything above relationships, everything you can possibly think of. Um, only thing that was in comparison to that was family and school. But that was it. But I think yeah, for me it was it's it's. It was a mixture, especially when I was growing up. And I think uh, my response to that is I, I definitely vibe with that and that when, when you're younger, you have less, you're still forming your identity. So it's a lot of what you do that ends up informing how you believe or how you consider yourself. But one of the the pitfalls that I came across as I was thinking about this was a term some sports psychologists call over-involvement. Okay. The only, that meaning yeah. if I'm an athlete and the only thing important in my life, the most important thing in my life is my participation in sport. Mm -hmm. There are other things that are happening, but those things actually really don't matter. At right. All. That was, that's like me to a T. Yep. The other thing I think that also was influencing that was I always felt I had to do more to be more. Mm-hmm. And that was my downfall because eventually you can't do anymore. Yep. Like either you physically break down or mentally break down, like overtraining syndrome, right? So all of these things sort of start to add up as a competitive athlete. That's another point I had written down that I think depends on the athlete, which is balance. Yeah. So, right, I would probably categorize both of us as similar in that always thinking that more was better. For sure. And that... Um, I really didn't have any problem pushing through discomfort, which eventually became pain. Yeah. And that's a problem. For right? sure. Not understanding, like you're saying, that your body's telling you something. Yeah. You're not listening. And like you had said in the last podcast, if, if we imagine ourselves like a bank account and we're paying out, paying out, paying out, paying out, eventually there's not going to be anything left. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I think 
personally, when I would run, I would actually put myself into situations, not that were like, um, that would put me at risk at all, but that would give me confidence when I entered a race. Mm -hmm. Uh, A good example is, so I used to work at a clinic and I'd get out some some nights really late. Um, So I would get to the track at like 8.30. Pitch dark, only thing that's lighting the tracks are like the lights around it. Mm -hmm. I use that as confidence going forward. Like my competition is sleeping right now. I'm working when they're not working. Mm -hmm. And I would sort of use that as confidence. But again, that sort of was like a downfall because I was putting everything towards it versus like, oh, maybe I did need a rest day. Maybe I could go out and socialize. Maybe I could do something else. But I was that driven to sort of compete. What you're saying is in the context of your life at that time, that specific behavior was a problem. Yeah. Do you think some athletes would benefit from that? Um, benefit from what in particular do you mean? Like benefit from like that rigid, like it's 8 PM. I'm going to, I'm going to get in some training. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I definitely think some would toughness. Yeah. And I think like that mental fortitude, Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, right? So we always talk since we're talking about toughness, that mental toughness, you only need it when things go bad Yes. or don't go your way. Mm -hmm. Right. So I find it interesting when a lot of coaches say, oh yeah, one of our, um, one of our um, values for our team is mental toughness. In my opinion, you don't need mental toughness, right? You need more of like a resiliency Resilience. for all things. That, and that's, so I get, that's probably the most common question I get asked by yeah. young athletes yeah. is, how do I develop mental toughness? And <clears throat> Go through something tough. <laughs> go through something tough, right? Yeah. So like you're saying, you know, a um, these types of tasks where, and again, it's all about balance. Yeah. Like if you're the athlete that's overdoing it, you're, you, you should be the one going to sleep. Yeah. You shouldn't be the one hitting the assault bike after your daughter goes to sleep because right. you have a competition in three weeks, you know? Right. But uh, and maybe actually that helped me at that point in time. It's, it's hard to know all the time, but what I use the word resiliency, that's yeah. what, what I hear when an athlete means toughness. What I th- my concern when I hear toughness with athletes is what they're really referring to is um, some version of like, suck it up how do i suck it up better right which is not helpful it's not that at all right so i think one of the 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 really interesting things is i heard this i forgot who it was from it was a professional athlete but they said like the more that you train the more variables that you see and the more experiences that you experience Mm -hmm. right so you, you can experience that like tough situation potentially more often because you're pushing yourself during training yes Right. So and that's the whole part about being injury sort of like free. Right. Actually being able to train consistently. Mm -hmm. If you can train consistently, you're going to do much better than the person who can only train 50 percent of the time because they're hurt. Yep. Right. But they train like an animal, essentially. Yep. You know. Um, So I will usually reframe that request as uh, how can you just learn how to be okay with whatever your experience is? I'm tired today. All right, I'm going to give my 100%. Whatever that 100, we talked about this yeah. before, but a relative 100%. Oh. Not 100% when I've slept, eaten, no stress. No stress. You know, <laughs> minimal stress. Whoever's like uh, that is, I want. Yeah, no, exactly, right? You yeah. Know, uh, when, so 100% is all relative. For sure. And understanding that as an athlete. Yeah. In terms of the over-involvement piece, 
you know, this is where I think Tony Robbins makes all the money he does is he has these very high-performing people come visit him. Right. And they'll say, you know, my problem is, um, you know, I'm a, I think it was one of the Williams sisters worked with him, but uh, not, he was kind of in a losing streak. And basically they came to realization is that she was all in on being a tennis player yeah. and had nothing else backing that up. Sure. Lack of support, lack of involvement in spirituality, disconnect from friends and family. Yeah. I don't I'm just I don't know if this was exactly kind right. of what their work was, but really what the work was was finding yourself as a person. For sure. Yeah, and and I think sort of like you're you're saying and I think we'll go into some of those topics, but I think when you're when it's all consuming, you got nothing left if it goes bad. Yes. Right? Or you're injured or like you just have several training like sessions that just don't go your way. Yep. Right. And then what's the athlete's mentality? I have to work harder. Mm-hmm. And usually that's not the answer. Yep. Right. And when I'm over invested, over involved. Yeah. And the most important thing is winning, and I don't win. Who am I now? Yeah, but I think so. That's one of the things I also think is really interesting. There's only one winner wherever you play, whatever sport you play, right? Yeah. There's one champion, mm-hmm. right? There's one person who's standing on top of the podium. If winning is the only thing that defines your success, I'm sorry, you're probably going to be disappointed a lot of the time. Yep. Right? So, I mean, striving to win is important. Why don't, why don't we talk about that? Why doesn't our culture teach athletes this? I, th- to be honest, I think sports does a poor job at defining that. Yeah. They do a very poor job at saying, like, oh, athletes, Athletics is not just all about winning, right? It's more about a lot of other things. So there, not to cut you off, there's a fantastic book, probably my number one book that I've ever read, called What Drives Winning mm-hmm. by Brett Ledbetter. He basically, he starts off the book, there are two questions parents who are not at the games ask their kids. Did you win? And how many points did you score? Right? And what is that Sad. driving? That's driving sort of that idea outcome. about right outcome first versus developing your personal characteristics through the sport effort, right? Like when I ran at night, that gave me mental fortitude. That's right. When I'm here late at work typing notes, oh, I can do this, mm-hmm. right? I, I just push through for another fifteen minutes, I'll be fine. Yep. Right. I uh, so. I went to a, a national sports psychology conference, and one of the keynote speakers was Karch Karali, who's mm-hmm. the, uh, he's the head coach of the um, Olympic women's volleyball team. Okay. And one of the, the things that hit home for me was what changed for his coaching and the team, what he believes contributed to a lot of their success. They've right. won a couple Olympics now, uh, Olympic titles, was having the focus be on playing the best you can versus winning. Right. You cannot always guarantee that. For sure. And when the pressure is always on you to take first and win, right. What how does that affect an athlete or a team? Right? Yeah. It just creates more pressure. For sure. It's the last thing you're already in a high pressure situation in that. You're okay. already at an Olympic level, you're playing against yeah. the best of the best in the world. Doesn't 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 pre- enough pressure to, to cut it with a spoon. Right. right. You don't need any more pressure. Right. All you need to do is your job the best you can. Right. Which is whatever your assignment is and how to support your teammates. Right. 
that's the other thing in team sports i don't think this happens enough but like if you're having a bad day like you can still help the team win in some other fashion that's right right i think i you see a lot of and i saw it sort of uh when i watch some college basketball right you'll see some the best player on the team just like literally fold right and sort of like seclude themselves Mm -hmm. versus saying like oh what can they do to help the team Mm -hmm. yeah I saw some crazy st- statistics about the amount of three-pointers James Harden misses. Yeah. it's He has the highest in the league. So there's an interesting thing there. So Steph Curry, a few years ago, he went like 0 for 13. Mm-hmm. Guess what he did the night after? It went 0 for more? No. Uh, he set the amount of, like, made three-pointers, uh-huh. like, in, in a single game. He mm-hmm. set the record for it. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's a mentality that these guys like James Harden, Steph Curry, all these like professionals have is they're going to keep shooting through it because mm-hmm. they have the confidence that eventually it's going to sort of go their way, mm-hmm. you know? But I think, again, sort of like we were talking about before, but like not going our way when we're in training, that's super, that's very difficult. Are you also saying that athletes should be allowed to fail? Oh, 100%. Mm. So I don't, so when I coach kids or the team that I coach, we don't say failing, we say learning. Mm-hmm. So what'd you learn, mm-hmm. right? I will. N- you'll never hear me say fail to a to an athlete that I coached. Like, oh, you didn't hit the the time that we wanted. My first question to them is, okay, what did you experience in the race? Mm-hmm. I let them experience all their emotions. Then, maybe fifteen twenty minutes later, come over and say, what did you experience during the race? And then they just sort of lay it out. Mm-hmm. And I love it because usually what they'll do is they'll like go through times, like oh, the first split was this, the second split was this, and I was like. I know, I was timing you. I don't need to know that. I want to know, like, from your perspective, what did you experience? Mm-hmm. And why I also think that is important is, uh, we'll talk about confidence, yeah. is one of the ways that athletes derive confidence, especially younger athletes, yeah. is by how their coaches react to their failure. For sure. Or mistakes, whatever yeah. the language, right? If, if every time I make a mistake, someone's barking at me, or right. every time I make a mistake... Well, barking versus, hey, we got this. You know, I'm, I'm clapping for people. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't on YouTube yet. You know, uh, hey, all right, come on. You know, yeah. let's let's go for it again. Yeah. No big deal. Come mm-hmm. on, regroup. Um, versus, okay, you're out of the game. Right. And I think, to, to be fair, for some coaches, they have to have a balance, you know. Uh, but that that has to be something to consider as well. Right. Oh, great, 100%. But I think you see that, like, you see that string too tight for a lot of coaches. Like, in the sense of, like, pulling a player out. Mm -hmm. It's, like, too fast. Like, I I was watching a college basketball game. Literally, within five seconds of something happening in the first few seconds of the game, coach took a kid out. I was like, what does that do to that kid's confidence? Well, what does it do? Demoralizes them. Right? Yeah. You're punished for making a mistake right. versus how do you roll with it. And right. the communication could be some part of that in, in that moment that, and whether it's being intentionally communicated right. or not is winning's more important than, than you. Yeah. So get out of here, get yeah. off the floor. Uh, another thing I think talking about like confidence and things like this for athletes is a lot of us will like visualize essentially what you want to experience during that match, mm-hmm. right? Or during your event or during your competition. It's funny. I would, I would ask you how often or what percentage do you do positive versus negative? 
What does that mean? Uh, positive imagery versus negative imagery. Something doesn't go right. Something is going exactly perfectly. So that's a really good question. Because of how informed by Zen and mindful concepts yeah. I am, I don't picture positive or negative. I just, okay. I just picture events, right? I just imagine, um, I imagine experiencing, well, I shouldn't say, I just imagine an anticipate adversity. And ima- when I would imagine myself, it would be, okay, you know, it's uh, one of the events in a competition is like, bike dumbbell thrusters right right yeah it's it's a a eight minute amrap as many rounds as possible seeing when i'm visualizing i'm seeing the clock at two minutes 130 right one minute right and i know because of my training hours the sensations that i will feel as that time ticks closer right and as those sensations increase in intensity, i.e. discomfort, yep. uh, constantly being barraged with the option of stopping. Okay. Can I ask you? I don't yeah. mean to cut you off. It's fine. What happens if you start to feel that discomfort at a time that you're like, I should not be feeling this discomfort this early? Like, what, what goes through your mind then? So, so should and should not is, I think, so that's tricky. Right? Yeah. That's a judgment. Or if you start to go through a, a scenario where you're like, I shouldn't be feeling this or... Like, I don't want to use the word should. Um, like, where essentially you're feeling something at a point where it, not, where it should not be happening. Can you give me an example? Uh, let's say you're doing your Airdyne bike, mm-hmm. and then you're doing your thrusters. And during the Airdyne bike, you're already fatigued. Like, mm-hmm. your, your, your um, respiratory rate super high, mm-hmm. right? Um, you may already start feeling like a real burn in your legs. You're like, oh, my God, I still have another seven minutes and 30 seconds, whatever. So I would say the trap is the word should. Okay. Right? So it's, it's too late yeah. to, to go back and, 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 and train again. Right. right? So, and, it's, and you're wasting time thinking about, well, am I, am I too excited? You know, did I get too excited? Did I right. drink too much coffee? Did I not sleep enough? Did I not eat? Right. No, no. So what do you do? I would say moment? I'm going to focus on the things that are controllable. I'm going to, if I need to, slow my pace down a little yeah. bit, and I'm going to focus on breathing as effectively as I possibly can, right? So if I can, for as long as I can, yeah. breathing in through my nose and exhaling through my mouth, right? Because right. that will begin to um, augment how, how sympathetically aroused I am. And you'll, it goes more parasympathetic, you'll potentially? Be, Potentially, you're you're hoping that's going to kick the needle more into the middle. You're not going to go parasympathetic right. here. You're you're in the middle of a competition and right. you're you're asking your body to perform. Okay. Focus on controllable things, right? And catching yourself when you're making a value judgment. Mm-hmm. Like so, I w- I would, and we didn't. I didn't actually write this down. But yeah. Actually, no, I did. Judging. Yeah. Judging yourself and the sensations that you have in your body can be a barrier. And I would say in that moment, yeah. it's probably a barrier. Can I ask you this? So maybe the athlete who you got the question from, too, experiences this, too. But judging before the competition even happens. Like, yes. setting, like basically, you are already lost the competition because you're, like, you're looking, you're sort of, like, comparing yourself to other athletes and being like, man, I don't, I don't know if I have it today based on these people who are here. 
So before we go to that, and that's yeah. that's another one I wrote down is a mental trap is comparison. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to make sure that I'm pacing it. Right. right. I'm notorious for going out too hot. Right. So <laughs> I'm probably going to always feel what you're feeling. Right. <laughs> so quick, do I need to just slow down, slow down, right? right. But comparison is an absolutely roadblock, right? I remember when... I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast, but or past episodes, I remember when I first started competing, yeah. comparing my physique to other athletes' physiques yeah. and thinking, how am I going to beat these guys? Yeah. These guys are jacked. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm looking <laughs> down at myself. I don't look this way. And yeah. how that experience affected me. Yeah. And what, when I, I will say what ended up being a lesson was when you beat them so so okay yeah so I have, a, I have a story about that so for me I always used to race and there was this one kid always would beat me and every single time I lined up I was like okay come bring it mm-hmm. right and then eventually I got better and better and better there's a 20k that's in New Haven that was raced and I can still remember the moment to this day where I pass him during the race and I'm like is this really happening? Mm-hmm. You know, because I'd always compare myself to him. That'd be the thing. That'd be one of the things that I would think about when I was training late at night. Mm-hmm. Is like, he's not working now. I am. Right? And I eventually caught up to him. But in that longer race, because I would judge myself. I'd be like, man, I just don't have it today. So what if he would, would show up. What was the difference in that race for you? Um, the competition was better than he was. Like, it like the competition was greater than both him and I. So like there were like Olympic athletes there. Yeah. So you when, both had to try to rise to the occasion. Yeah, and, and eventually so basically what I did though is I sort of did what you said, control what I can control. It's a hot day, so making sure I get my fluids in, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I literally just said what you did. Control the controllable. I didn't I actually didn't think about the race at all, like play it through my mind at all. Mm-hmm. I just sort of was like, Okay, I wanna be in the moment and focus on that. All right, so people who are listening to this podcast are going to want to know, what do you do about this? So what you, what you just described mm-hmm. is a blueprint for how to deal with this, right? Yeah. Were you in the zone in that race? So yeah, so I was. Okay. So like the way I can describe it is like you're running and you feel like you wake up. Yeah. And like I wake up and it's like mile, so it's a 20K, so it's like 12 plus miles. So I woke up, it was like mile nine. I was like, what? And that, that's when I passed him. Yep. So uh, common, if you've heard me talk about this, you'll, you've heard this before, but common aspects of being in the zone are time, our experience of time changes. Yep. Either time slows down so much, we feel like we are just <laughs> running circles around people, yeah. or time speeds up so much, we, we just don't have, we're not yeah. experiencing all the discomfort that would right. have typically came. Right. Feeling like you're in control, feeling good about it, right? Um, I mean, there are other factors about being yeah. in the zone, but this is where we all play the best. Being in the moment, yeah. being present, which I would say is the bedrock or foundation for being in the zone. Will, it, will, will, it, will you always get to be in the zone for yeah. being present? No, but it is the beginning. And there isn't any space for comparison or judging when right. you are in the moment. Because right. when you're in the moment, it's all about, you were just saying, after work, when it was just me and the lights in the dark, I was running. Right. 
I've done all I can to prepare for this race. Right. And then a focus on my effort right. versus anything else, right. just my effort. Similar story, and, it, and if, this is going to be a broken record. I'm, I'm probably sounding like, you know, uh, you know I, I officially has been, but the most recent competition I had, uh, we eked into the finals, yeah. right? It was uh, one, there was one team, these gentlemen I think I compete, competed against before, they won every workout, strong and fit. Right. Unfortunate combination <laughs> for everybody else, right? So the first event of the final was like dumbbell box step overs and then like a million toes to bar. Yeah. So workout starts. We're all doing the dumbbell step ups. They beat us to the toes to bar. Yeah. And then I'm just like, you know what? Let's just go, right? Yeah. And I'm doing my toes to bar, 10. Judge looks away. I'm doing more toes to bar. He's like, okay, good. So the differentiating factor was we, we beat them in the workout. Yeah. Okay. I did 30 unbroken toes to bar. Yeah. Not because I was focusing on them. I was just paying attention to the sensations, my excitement. Right. And I decided in my mind that I'm going to do this. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for as long as I possibly can. Right. We knocked them off the podium. Right. By doing that. Right. Yeah. Right? They were better than us. Oh, I agree. They were better. Yeah. They, they t- if we competed again the next day, they would yeah. beat us. If we, competed, if we competed again the day before, they would have beat us. Yeah. But just by focusing on in that moment what was controllable, yeah. that was the differentiating. If I was stuck there comparing yeah. myself to them, it would have been over. Over yeah. before it began, like you yeah. said. Right? Oh, yeah. No, I agree 100%. And I think, so I think another one of the points that you, we had that we wanted to talk about was the idea about fear. Fear. So I think also when you're standing at like the start of an event or competition, the first thing that goes through your mind, if you've done it before, right, it's a very like, it's a very similar experience for us or kids I coach. It's like they run the 1500. They know it's going to hurt like Mm -hmm. that third lap, Mm -hmm. right? But essentially a lot of people are afraid of that fear, that pain that they're going to experience, right? So I think that's the other aspect, right, is you got to have to understand it's going to hurt if you're going to try and do something you've never done before. Right? Afraid of pain yeah. or afraid of fear. Right. Right. So what so a lot once you get up in your training age like mm-hmm. like you are, yeah, is you you, you just make friends with it. For you sure. know you know, once you hit the, the starting line, yeah. you're gonna have that feeling. Have you ever read the book uh, Born to Run by Chris McDougall? Of course. Do you, do you, I was a... one of those weirdos running around barefoot, <laughs> around Harvard. God bless you. Yeah. Oh, but there's this there's this quote from it. There's an ultra marathon. I forgot her name. It's a her. It's a it's a female, um, and she talks about like with when the pain comes, she treats it like an animal, like yeah. a pet. Yeah. Right. She's like, oh, I can control it. Mm-hmm. Like I can control how much I experience of it and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that he sort of said how you can sort of like play with it. Mm-hmm. That immediately made me think about like the animal that she was talking about. She it's, called it the beast. Right, quote the beast. Yeah. And it becomes a beast when we don't understand how to relate to it. Mm-hmm. When we relate to it like this, which is what is a typical problem. I'm, if I'm an athlete and I feel fear, this fear means I suck. Right. This fear, this fear means I'm weak. Right. Which... Well, you know, in the worst case scenario, it, it starts to take so much control that you actually feel physically weak. Yeah. Right? So fear is really what, what I would 
offer to people is you you wouldn't feel that feeling if you didn't care. Right. Fear is really just another version of excitement. Yeah. In this case. Yeah. Right. It's not like so this you doing something that's meaningful to you, right. like competing, is different than jumping out of a plane. For sure. Right. That fear makes sense. Right. You <laughs> you know, I don't know what the statistics are on death, you know, from, <laughs> skydiving. from skydiving, but you know, we're evolutionarily wired to be afraid of that. Yeah. Right. You know, I think it was, I heard Will Smith say this on his Instagram. What's on the other side of fear? Nothing. Nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. It's, it's just something that's been fabricated in the mind. Yeah. And a good way to manage fear is to develop some type of, some type of self-talk around it. Right. Sure. Like, you know, like this ultra marathoner talked about it, imagining it as something. Right. Right, something that that can be seen or held or an object. It's and but it's interesting too. So going back to what we were talking about in the beginning about like training exposure, mm-hmm. right? The more often that you're exposed to that feeling and do it anyway, right? Then it's a training of oh, I've been here before. Yep. Right, and oh, that's why my legs are hurting like this. Mm-hmm. Right, or that's why like I'm breathing harder. Right. Mm-hmm. So you gain experience, right, of that pain feeling. Right. And I'm, I'm guessing some athletes out there are might be listening and saying, well, you know, I did that. That didn't work. Yeah. Right? Because there are people where they try to expose themselves continuously, but what ends up happening is it, it's the repeat of the same result of I perform poorly. Right. I, perform, I don't perform up to how I believe I could perform. Right. And, and we're trying to be as real, saying that this is actually realistic. Right. This isn't a distorted belief. Right. And so for some athletes, you, you have to learn how, you have to train your mind. Right. right. So you have to practice, just like you get in your reps, your, your, your time on the track, whatever, yeah. you, have to, you have to treat your brain like a muscle. Yeah. Right. And is it imagery, like you said, imagining yourself doing something? Right. And, and yourself performing through it and all the sensations that come with it is it learning how to deep breathe and doing that yeah you know uh I'm, of course i'm a big zen person meditating right right meditating is like the way we we know how to develop this capacity you know right. of how to remain calm even though in my body i might not feel calm right and that sounds strange right right being, just being able to be okay with not feeling, you know, uh, I don't even know what the, not, not feeling perfect. Right. right? You're, does that make sense? Yeah. No, but I think that, that leads into another one of the things that we were talking about, like perfectionism. Perfectionism. Right? There, I can count on one hand how often when I raced competitively, how many races were perfect. <laughs> were quote unquote perfect. Like, up, oh, I got into the flow state. I had an awesome kick at the end. I started off right where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Rare, mm-hmm. like very rare. Yep. Right. But um, but I think that idea of like perfection and like every race has to be exactly right. Every time split when you run on the track has to be exactly right. That perfectionism, I think, also leads to a lot of other bad things too, mm-hmm. potentially. Right. So I don't want to get into like eating disorders because that could be a whole different sort of but it, it fits. segment. But yeah, but that whole idea about being like perfect. I'm sorry to say this, nobody's perfect, right? So I share for for people I meet who's have problems with perfection, I share this quote. Yeah. The beginning of perfection is to let go of imperfection. 
mm-hmm. when I first heard that quote yeah. in my young mind, I thought to myself, yeah, okay, that I can do this. I I'll I'll just figure out all the ways I'm imperfect. Yeah. So I can be more perfect. And then I grew up and yeah. I realized that <laughs> the quote is a paradox. Right. At least my interpretation is that if your goal is to be perfect, right. that in, in and of itself is an imperfection to be let go of. Right. Right. Yeah. No. I, I mean, that's like some kind of meta heady stuff. That's why you're a psychologist. That's why I'm that, that's <laughs> So right. You're so right. Um, that perfection is absolutely a barrier. Yeah. Another one that I've experienced is ec- like having an expectation already of outcome. Sure. Right. Can I tell you one thing? With that, I think that is the killer of flow state. Expectation. Expectation of yeah. where you have to be. Yep. Um, because, give you an example, I'm, I'm sorry for the kids who I used to coach, but like five, six years ago, I'd be that guy where like, you have to be at X miles at X time. What happens if you're like all the way in the back of the pack because your shoe fell off? Right? Automatically, Race you're over. done. Race yeah. is done. Race right over. When that happens. So that sort of like that situation immediately kills flow, flow state. So I completely agree. Yeah, I remember um, when I first started. I had. It's interesting. I I mean I had been competing in sport for a while before I started CrossFit competitively, and yeah. I I had never done a strength sport, right? So my my mindset going into competitive CrossFit was, I can just effort my way out of this. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I remember there, one of the first workouts was like a thruster ladder. For, for people who know, it's like a front squat into a push press. Yep. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm just going to will my way through the last bar. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> How did your back feel after that? Back was fine. <laughs> uh, baby legs, you know, oh, yeah. they, they, didn't, they didn't work. But I yeah. was so upset afterwards and perplexed, right? Yeah. And, and disappointed in myself yeah. because it was, and really all of that was just an indicator of, of a lack of maturity and right. understanding, right? Yeah. You can't will yourself to back squat 400 pounds. Right. You can't. Right. It's not something that's possible. Right. The expectations on that day set me up for feeling miserable versus taking value and, 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 ha- and having fun. Right. Yeah, and I think, and again, I sort of in... The world of non like elite athletes, so people who compete just to try and get the best out of themselves, I think that's one thing that they that I didn't do. I didn't have fun. Mm-hmm. You have to have fun with the experience. Definitely. You have to make it a little bit more enjoyable. Definitely. I think trying and I think like we talked about or I've talked about before here is I think that's what CrossFit does really well. Yes. Right. CrossFit has that community of like people. We're in it together, but we also have fun as well. Yep. Right. So I think that's sort of that's something that I think it's lost with competing. I've actually never realized this until you said that is that I would always be that experience would always sneak up on me. Yeah. Right. Halfway or three qu- three quarters through a, a rugby game or a competition. Yeah. I would just start to joke, laugh. Yeah. Chat it up like that. That initial like intensity of yeah. you know the whatever the first piece goes away yeah. the first quarter the first couple workouts and then like just having fun yeah because I, I used to work out with a professional strongman now we didn't do the same workout yeah. but we used to work out at the same gym you shouldn't um, have said that no one had known except him. 
Except him. Yeah. <laughs> but we used to work out at the same gym. And I remember getting ready for, it was in my second or third uh, marathon. And he goes, Chris, you got to remember this. You're going to feel a certain way during the race. So we we're talking about pain. Mm-hmm. And he's like, remember, you're doing this for fun. Mm-hmm. Like you're not like your livelihood is not based on how well you perform. Yep. Right. And for me, that was just like one of those like click moments where I was like, he is a hundred percent right. Right. Like I put too much pressure on myself and it is for fun. And if it's not fun, what are you doing? Right. I mean, there, there are parts about training seriously that are not fun. For sure. Right. Okay. You're not going to do all of your favorite exercises no. all the time. Exactly. Right. right? However, I mean, if you're trying to compete and you're not having fun, like that's really important. Yeah. Some, I've heard some athletes say that, you know, in, you know, enjoyment isn't part of it. Having fun isn't part of it, right? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's just about, I mean, specifically the, the CrossFit, like suffering and being efficient at it. Yeah. And I don't necessarily agree, right? I think, I think that that was that one person's yeah. perspective, but... If you can't figure out how to have fun during the process, especially, right. and have fun during competition, you, you're not going to make it. No, no, you're I agree. Gonna, you're, you're not going to... And, and, and I think a, a point that should be a distinction, too, is we're not saying you have to be joking and laughing no. all the time during competition. Absolutely. There is some time when you have to be like game face, uh, and I hate that term, the, but like that like crazy eyes. Oh, dude. You know so what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't, I can't pull it up right now, but you, you don't follow CrossFit, right? No, not too so much. So there's yeah. a, you know, uh, Sarah Sigmund's daughter is perennially like, uh, people every year think she's going to like place on the podium for the games yeah. and she's had struggles. I think a lot of that has to do with potentially her mindset. Sorry, Sarah, if you're listening. Um, but if she's listening, I'm just saying, if you're that's listening, amazing. Sarah, um, <laughs> but there's so there's a a, a, a meme on Instagram yeah. of her at a recent competition yeah. where she's smiling and laughing and in two seconds she goes to game face yeah. and then people are just like oh what's going on with her I was like this is perfect this is what an athlete needs to know how to do yeah. you need to know how to be able to have fun be light hearted yeah. and in a split second be dead serious yeah but it's interesting right sometimes you see an athlete that they can't do that. Right. That's when you get like that outburst at the like the podium after yeah. a game. Yep. Right. And the, the athlete they just can't switch it off. Yep. Right. And to be fair to those athletes, that's that's probably. I mean, does it have something to do with them? Yes, but that's there's probably a culmination of so many factors yeah, that we course. talked about. Right. Pressure from family system. Pressure from a lot of different it's things. So livelihood. Their their livelihood, right? right. And and um, and maybe years of getting away with it. Yeah. You know, oh, and, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Do we miss anything? You know what? It, I almost didn't write this down, but it's, it almost sounds silly to say, but just being negative. You know, you had you had kind of mentioned it earlier, but yeah. people coming in, you know, I, you know, I'm not good. At, it was, not good at that you know right and i've done it and i probably still do it right but um ben bergeron who's a famous coach in the community talks about how negativity is infectious yeah right if, if you know you have a movement or something programmed for you during that day that's going to be challenging like you said how can i say this is an opportunity to learn this right. is an opportunity to learn right versus an opportunity to kick the hell out of myself yeah 
but it's interesting you mentioned that, right? So you said like your your attitude's like infectious. Yeah. It's funny how you started off our conversation today with the idea of like, oh, Chris, you're always so positive and things like this. I'm saying majority of the time I am positive. There mm-hmm. are negative times too, of course, right? To every side of the coin. But the reason why I'm positive is because then hopefully that makes other people positive around you. Yeah. Right? And I don't know about you, but that's what a culture is, mm-hmm. right? As a culture is an, an influencer, right? Or some type of leader who helps other people develop that same sort of mindset. Yeah. Right? So for me, I try to be extremely positive with my patients, with everybody here at work. They may think, oh, my God, this kid, I hate how positive he is, but that's just me. But it's the same way because it's going to influence them potentially to be that positive. One of my new favorite sayings is culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can strategize. You can train all yeah. you want. If the culture around your efforts, yeah. your team's efforts, all those efforts is negativity, talking behind each other's backs, making yeah. comments, um, one thing we didn't talk about is a lack of trust, right? If, if, you, if you don't trust yeah. your coaching staff, if you don't trust your oh, yeah. coach, if you don't trust your teammates, yeah. right? That no matter how hard you plan, right? It comes to execution. For sure. Right? And what impacts execution from every person involved is that culture. Yeah. Right? Are you all bought in? Can I ask you this? Yeah. Is there a term that you can use for internal culture? Internal culture. So all the stuff that we talked about, yep. it's like an environment inside of you mm-hmm. that's your culture, right? Or what you're doing or trying to achieve, yep. right? So you think of like a corporation, right? The culture of the corporation, they have values, they have all this kind of stuff, right? They have a philosophy, they have mission statements. Why can't a human do that? I think they call it the self. Right, but why? But like making that like oh, of course, of like course, oh, what? Because I would say for the person who asked the question, right, develop a personal philosophy mm-hmm. based off of your core values. Right. Those. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. You know, when we were talking about getting up early, training late, doing things yeah. that are uncomfortable, pushing yourself during a competition at times right. where it it feels very hard. Right is always coming back to your values. For sure. What's important for you? And it's important to distinguish that values change through your life. That's right. Right? Like, if if I was to define myself when I was competing Mm running-wise, it'd be perseverance, determination, ambitious. Mm -hmm. Right? Those would be my values. What are they now? What are they now? Um, Trying to think. Generous, honest, trustworthy, um, confident. Those would be mine. Yeah, and those are just off the top of to my training? head. To training? To training? Yeah. Oh, no, that's for life. That's for life. Yeah, because I'll like, i give you my personal philosophy, mm-hmm. right? So I can say it anywhere. So it's through relationships, building trust, to help other people cultivate the best versions of themselves so that others can, so that they can help others become the best versions of themselves. It's beautiful. Right? So I'm trying to not just do it for the person I'm working with, but hopefully that they sort of are empowered so that they can make that change in somebody else's life too. Absolutely. I, I don't have one, but this yeah. is borrowed from Ram Das, who died, I think, a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. Treat everyone like God and drag. Yeah, I remember you said that. I've heard you say that before. Yeah. Um, I think my, my values as an athlete now are still perseverance, but yeah. what comes before that is 
curiosity, yep. balance, mm-hmm. compassion. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't mean to bring this up because I don't want to extend Go the conversation ahead. any longer. An athlete who's competing, can they have balance and still be successful? I would say that's, that's the, that can be a determining factor on how long you are successful. Because I don't know what this person who you got the question from, what they were sort of, uh, what their life is like. Yep. But do they, what kind of job do they have? Do they have any family life? What's their, like, their commitment to the sport, mm-hmm. right? I don't believe, and this is a belief, right? I don't believe you can have balance and be successful. Those values are always, or those, um, those life components are always going to be changing. Yes. So in the competitive season... Right, so for marathoners, usually that's the fall and spring. Your miles are going to be, have to be really high. So family and work are going to have to be lower. But maybe in the winter, maybe your family life is higher because it's the holidays, and then you're also doing more at work. You have more presentations, whatever. Right. So I think it varies, and I don't think you can have a perfectly balanced life. And that's a belief. I want to hear from you. So what do you, you think so, about that? So you said first. You can't have balance. And then you said you can't have a perfectly balanced life. So I agree with the second statement. Okay. That doesn't mean you don't, that doesn't mean you don't try to have balance. Right. That's what I, that's what I would say. Okay. I think that as you mature as an athlete, as you, you know, grow, you become, uh, I don't know what other words to say it, you become a bigger container for stressors, mm-hmm. right? You right. can hold more and more and more. Okay. Um, I, can I just ask you? Yeah. How, but when that container overflows, which it does, does the stuff that happens that we're talking about here before fear, all uh, those things start to like bubble up. Yeah, of course. Right. Oh, you can always come back to the, you can always come back though. Right. You can always come back. Yeah. We all, we all, yeah. we all will get overwhelmed by our process. For if sure. It, if it is promoting growth. For sure. Like that's just kind of part of the game. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna stop. Well, let's 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 wrap it up on that. Anything else before we wrap up? No, please? I think that was good. But I would like to, if other people have questions, I would love for them to submit those questions or even ask you, and then we'll discuss them on future episodes. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really good idea. So we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.